0: Hello, America, and happy Tuesday. What a newsy Tuesday we have for you here at John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Why? Because we have a former president and a former House speaker back-to-back Right on this show. That's right. You heard me right. Joining us in just a few seconds, the 45th president of the United States, Donald J. Trump, is going to be here. We're going to talk about that bombshell revelation last night that Joe Biden did, in fact, have classified documents stored in his private office at an insecure think tank inside a university program here in Washington, D.C., the Penn Biden Center, part of the University of Pennsylvania family which, by the way, has gotten a lot of Chinese money. Uh, University of Pennsylvania, about $54 million documented in recent complaints and stories about that. We don't know how much that made it into the Penn Center, but we do know that, as of yesterday, the Biden White House has acknowledged that Joe Biden... His lawyers found some documents in his office when they were cleaning out that old office where he worked that had classified markings on them, some of them at the top secret level. CNN is saying that among the country's intelligence that was in there involved Ukraine. That's important because Hunter Biden had business deep relations there. Uh, United Kingdom, I mean, that's important because that's where Christopher Steele's Russia documents came from. And other places, including uh, not China, but I believe we heard some stuff about North Korea and other places. So we're learning a little bit about what those documents are, some at the top secret or most sensitive level in the classification system. We're going to ask President Trump about that, what he thinks about that, since he's been the target of Joe Biden's own criticism about the classified documents found at Mar-a-Lago. Also, you're going to hear from Newt Gingrich, former Speaker of the House, about the deal that put Kevin McCarthy into power and so much more. A great interviews, two interviews, back to back today here on Tuesday at John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Justin News. So check it out. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We're not going to waste any time. As soon as we come back, we'll start with former President Donald Trump, followed by former Speaker Newt Gingrich, back to back on a very special Tuesday edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Justin News. Let's hear from those commercial messages right now. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. As mentioned at the top of the show, we are very fortunate to have the 45th president of the United States joining us right now, Donald J. Trump. Mr. President, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, John. Great honor. With you, it's always a great honor, I will say. I was thinking of you last night. I thought when this Joe Biden announcement came out about the documents, I'm thinking, you know, President Trump probably has something to say about this. Your reaction, after all the president said about you, after all the President Biden said about you, for him to have classified documents in his office, your thoughts?
1: Well, you know, as vice president, he doesn't have the right to declassify. They shouldn't have been there. And for that long, I guess it was seven years or nine years now, I'm hearing very extended periods of time. It was also big stuff, a lot of it having to do with Ukraine. And as you know, his son got paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a month from Ukraine. And I think they got a $3 million upfront payment to sit on the board of a company that was a very a problematic company, a, very, a company that had a lot of problems. But uh, it was uh, shocking, actually, to see, actually shocking.
0: It was. And I want to ask you about this. They find out about this on November 2nd, if you believe their timeline. That's before the election. Then on November 18th, they name a special prosecutor against you. They never mentioned this. It only comes out now. Any concern about the delay in disclosing this to the American public? Well, I think
1: they knew long before November 2nd. Uh, I think he knew probably right from the beginning. And I think a lot of it had to do with uh, Ukraine because that was the papers he kept. And no, I think they knew about this for a long time and they didn't do anything about it. Now, there is a big difference. I mean, a lot of differences, first of all, but there is a big we were having very good conversations with NARA. All of a sudden, they just come in a raid. They raid Mar-a-Lago, but we were having, they didn't have to do that because we would have given it over. We were having very, very productive conversations, no problem. And then they do the big grandstand. But very importantly, as I come under the Presidential Records Act, meaning the president comes under the Presidential Records Act, the vice president comes under the uh, Federal Records Act. The Federal Records Act is brutal. The Presidential Records Act, and this is because of, you know, years and years of uh, litigation when people leave office, what they take, what they don't take. And, you know, they've actually paid, remember, they paid, I think, $18 million to Richard Nixon to get his, the things that he took from office. So this is after years of litigation. But interestingly, the Federal Records Act, the vice president comes under, and it's brutally, it's criminal, The the it's a criminal act, whereas the Presidential Records Act is not criminal. In fact, it says you talk and you work it out. And if you don't work it out, you keep talking. I mean, you're sort of a a very calm thing. They shouldn't even be they shouldn't be looking at me under the Presidential Records Act. It's a disgrace. But under the Federal Records Act, which is the vice president, it's a very uh, it's a very high standard and it's it is very, very tough. It's a different world.
0: Yeah, it is. And you of course have been facing this situation with the special prosecutor. How does this change the equation with what you've been doing with the justice department to get this matter resolved?
1: Well, I think it totally changes it. I mean, uh he's again, he's under this federal act that's very tough and I'm under I I I was perfect under the presidential records act. We were negotiating with Nara. Now, you know Nara is a far left group of people. I don't know if you know or if you've ever heard They've red flagged, essentially, red flagged the Constitution of the United States and the Bill of Rights. They said it's a dangerous document. I mean, this is what we're dealing with. Uh, These are people that, uh, you know, look, they have some real difficulties, okay? But this is a very left wing group of people in era. And I think that's got to be corrected.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of debate about that. It's such an important thing.
1: But I did nothing wrong. I mean, just to finish this off, I did absolutely nothing wrong. And we were talking to them and we gave them a tremendous amounts of stuff. Now, Biden only gave it. He had it for nine years. I mean, now I'm here. At first, I heard it was a couple of years. then Then ultimately, I just heard a little while ago, they had it for it could be nine years. And now you have to say, well, what about? all of these places that he's got, he's got a a tremendous trove of things at the University of Delaware, I understand. He's got another one at Penn. He's got a big trove up at Penn. Uh, And then what about his house? And what about Biden's, uh, what about Hunter's house? And, you know, who's gonna go in there like they did with me? Who's gonna do that? No, I think, and I think we've had tremendous support from the Republicans who think it's totally unfair. It's a very unfair situation. And conservatives and Republicans have gone through this for years, but I'm the record setter. There's no question about it.
0: That's for sure. There's no doubt. Sir, you fought China hand and tooth when you were president. Joe Biden seems to have, and his family have this incredible relationship with China. They're going on Air Force One, they're making deals. There's 10% for the big guy, Tony Bobolinsky. This university that housed the think tank where Joe Biden's documents were found got a lot of funding from China. So the University of Penn Center, the big recipient of China funding, the Biden-Penn Center is housed there. Concern about why there's so much China money always flowing around the Bidens.
1: Well, that's one of the really big things, I think, with the documents, frankly, is that uh, you have China that gave $54 million, I understand. That's what the number I hear. And they paid him almost a million dollars a year. They kept it slightly under a million. It's like nine ninety eight or something. So that this way they can say probably if it, if somebody ever gets wise to it, gee, we didn't pay him a million. You know, it sounds a lot less. If you pay uh, 998000 it sounds like a lot less. Uh, the fact is that China was paying through Penn, which, you know, I went to school at Penn. I went to the Wharton School of Finance. I, I love Penn but they were paying uh, all of this money to Joe Biden and they have the Biden center there. And I would imagine, you know, they're paying all this money. I would imagine they had absolute uh, entree into those documents and they saw those documents and those were major places. Now that's only what's come out so far, but I'd be willing to bet he has many more documents than that. And then if you look at these other places that he's storing documents, I mean, I would think he'd have a a treasure trove of documents. It's very, very sad. But China paid $54 million. And I guess out of that, they paid a million dollars a year to Biden. Think of that. I mean, isn't that an incredible situation? Is it even believable?
0: Yeah. Well, we suddenly got a forgivable loan from China, so we know they had no problem taking money from China. Let me pivot to something that you're getting a lot of credit for. Kevin McCarthy, Scott Perry, so many members of Congress saying you played a very important role last week in getting Republicans unified to get not only Kevin McCarthy to be the speaker, but to get rules that change the way the swamp in Washington operates. Can you tell us in your own words what you think you did and what happened in the last week to the Republican Party?
1: Well, I've I've gotten along with Kevin over the years. And, and I think that he really saw a lot. And I think he's learned a lot over the last year. And he say, I think he sees the kind of corrupt stuff. He watches uh, Unselect Committee, the January 6th. I call it the Unselect Committee. I never got credit for that name, but that's OK. But it is an Unselect Committee. It's a bunch of hacks and, and horrible people on that. And it's a one sided deal. And it's you know very unfair. And he, I think he watched that, and I think he really was repulsed by it very much. You know, he decided, and and I understood what he was doing, but it really wasn't. It it really didn't quite work out. He didn't want to put anybody on because he thought it was so disgraceful. Where they wouldn't take Jim Banks and Jim Jordan, he said that we won't put anybody. I fully understood that, but nobody knew that this thing was going to last forever. And forever, all of the 12 people, whatever it was, they were all anti-Trumpers and, you know, just screaming about Trump all day long. Uh, But, you know, it was uh, I think he learned I think he saw that and I think he thought it was really horrible and really unfair to the country and to the Republican Party. Uh, What what happened is there was really nobody else that was going to get the left within the Republican Party and the right within the Republican Party. You know, that's not a very big hole to go through. And so what's happened, what happened is I was very, I was friendly with both sides. Many of these people, most of my I endorsed, I liked them. They liked me. And when it came down to crunch time, you know, you had 20 people that were pretty hard line and they happened to be very good friends of mine. Almost all of them. I would say all of them. And uh, I would make them calls. I mean, because I, I didn't like what was happening, John. It It was starting to look a little bit chaotic. It was starting to look a little bit not good. And what happened is I started calling them and I started getting people to agree with me and coming on board. And as you know, Matt Gates is a very good guy and he's, you know, he's a strong guy. And I called him in the end. I mean, it was just about over where they were going to leave. And I think that if they left, think of it, if they left and you had two and a half, three days in between, I don't know that anything would have ever. You might have ended up with a Democrat, to be honest with you. I don't know that this thing ever would have gotten done. Your moderates would have left. Other people, it would have been a, a disaster. And that's when Matt ran up to the front of the room and he said, I'm changing my vote. I'm changing my vote. And he's a great guy. And and uh, they're all really great. I, I think, you know, they're very committed. And don't forget, you know, they signed a document. This document is a very strong document. The Speaker of the House is now I think it will be actually, in a certain way, in a stronger position for those of us that love our country. I think Kevin's going to do a good job. But I really believe that that three days, it looked messy. But in the end, it's sort of funny how it turns out. Sometimes, you know, the best things happen through the through the war. And in the end, I think we're going to end up with a more unified party. Now we have some great heads of committees. We have some great people on the committees. And these are people that you know very well, John, and that you deal with. These people don't mess around. These are tough people. And their voice wasn't heard for a long time, you know. The big problem the Republican Party has is Mitch McConnell. How he approved that $1.7 trillion is shocking. Because if he would have waited 10 days, the House would have either killed it or made it much better. How he went and just approved that, he's a real problem for the party. Because he does anything the Democrats want. And he's got his 10 or 12 people that you have to get, and they just follow his lead because he gives them a lot of campaign contributions. You know, he's, his leadership ability is only in that he raises money, and then he gives them a lot of money to campaign. But it's uh, Mitch McConnell's a real problem for our country, frankly, and for the Republican Party. And his wife, as you know, is wedded to China. I call her Coco Chow. Uh, she's wedded to China And it's such a conflict that this guy is is the head of the Senate is is just a a an embarrassment to Republicans. It shouldn't be. And it's been like that for a long time. And he keeps his power because of he spends time raising money and then he hands out 20 million, 15 million, 10 million. And then he actually spends 12 million to beat a good candidate in Alaska so that he can get his his voter in there. You know, and Murkowski is one of the worst senators we have.
0: That was a head-scratching moment. You've modernized the Reagan fiscal discipline thing. You cut taxes, you grew the economy, then you cut regulations and got all those regulations down. In your second term, you had a plan to shrink government. Republicans in the House could probably benefit from that plan. How important is it to keep cutting the deep state and getting this government down to a more manageable size?
1: Well, I was doing it, and then we got hit with COVID, and we had to help the people with COVID. You know, if we would have done that, this country would have... I don't think it would have existed, you know? It was... uh, We did a great job with COVID. I've always felt that, you know, people give me a lot of credit on foreign policy and the economy and things, but they they don't like doing it on COVID. I think I did among the best jobs on COVID because all of a sudden something came in that nobody had any idea what it was, but we knew it was killing a lot of people. And, you know, I closed it to China when a lot of people didn't want me to do that. Almost nobody wanted. That that saved a lot of lives. But, you know, uh, the COVID thing, Obviously, we had to go guns a blazing with uh, with the money and we had no choice. Otherwise, you know, we had to help people. They wouldn't have been able. They lost their jobs. They were losing their jobs left and right. This was a shocking event. And uh, we came up with things that nobody you know, our uh, if if you look at like Regeneron, you know, the therapeutic stuff that we did and, and all of the the uh ventilators that we got we did such a we were making them for the world for the whole world but we did a great job and uh but you know you had to do you would have seen if if we didn't get hit with covid we had an economy the day before covid came in the likes of which no country ever in the world has ever seen everybody was working african americans i always say it asian americans hispanic americans women men no high school diploma, MIT diplomas and doctorates, uh, everybody was doing great and the country was coming together. Then we got hit with COVID. And then by the time I left the stock market was actually higher cuz the market, you know, went down so drastically. The market was higher than it was the day before COVID. And we did a great job. We handed over something that was great. And by the way, I wrote a report Yesterday, that we have more COVID right now with COVID is all over the place. What happened to Biden with COVID? I mean, we have massive numbers of COVID right now.
0: We do. It is. It's spreading like wildfire.
1: So it's pretty crazy.
0: Pretty crazy. I know how important free speech and liberty is to you. We've seen all these revelations about the FBI, the Homeland Security Department, the Biden White House squeezing social media to censor people. You go out and create a new platform called Truth Social. It's now having record traffic this week. What you've seen with the federal agencies and the solution you put in place, I'd love to get your reaction to both of those.
1: Well, one of the things that was so shocking to me was when we saw the revelation of, you know, see the FBI and you always want to... Love the FBI and all of, you know what it stands for, the image of what it stands for. And then you see where the FBI was actually rigging the election, where they were suppressing bad news on Biden. And they say, push the good news on Biden and the exact opposite on me. And they were... You know, they I don't know if you saw, they said it made the pollsters, uh, John McLaughlin and some others real good ones. They said 17 point difference. I don't need I didn't need 17 points. I didn't need anything. I didn't even need that. They didn't even do it because the election was a rigged election. But I will tell you that uh, when I saw the FBI's involvement in free speech uh, and anything you want to call it, the other thing and, it, you know, pertains to it totally is the fact that the media is just so corrupt if you have a story that's positive about Trump, they just won't write it. And if you have a story that's positive about Biden or or some Democrat or whatever, that side of the equation, they make it, you know, front page news. Even today, I noticed it's not a front page. It's a very small story in The New York Times. Now, think of that. This is the biggest thing. All the documents we're talking about, he gets caught with highly classified at the highest level. You know, the marking was the highest level. He gets caught, and they have a little story in the Times. It's It's got a small story in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, it's got, you know, a small story in the Washington Post. If that were me, it would be the whole front page. It is such, the media is so corrupt. And, you know, I think if I've done one thing, and I'm very proud of it. Uh, we've, we've done so much, but one thing that I'm very proud of that I think people don't talk about, I think I've exposed it all. I don't think it would ever have been exposed if anybody else were in the position. I think I've exposed it all. And now you can go get it because they have really exposed themselves as being corrupt. Even the Pulitzer Prize, if you look at that, I mean, to get to get the Pulitzer Prize for Russia, Russia, Russia reporting. And, you know, the prize reads to the effect on your great and brilliant reporting on Russia. Well, they got it wrong. It was the exact opposite. You should get the Pulitzer Prize. Sean Hannity should start writing a little bit and get the Pulitzer Prize, okay? I mean, you guys and Sarah, uh, there was a group of people that got it right, right from the beginning. And, and, you know, I'm suing Pulitzer now because I'm saying you've got to take the Pulitzer Prize away. The Times and the Washington Post have admitted that they were wrong. So how do you get a Pulitzer Prize when you're writing all this stuff about Trump? And it turned out that had nothing to do. And then the report came out yesterday that, by the way, the influence of Russia over the election was was uh, tiny. It was nothing. It was nothing. It was was all a big hoax. It was a scam. It's a witch hunt, and it continues to this day. But I think that this new revelation on Biden with the uh, highly classified documents is, that's a uh, tough thing for them. I don't know how they handle that one.
0: Yeah, it's a big one. You happy with truth? It's growing millions of people. I see lots of traffic coming to just the news every day from it. You've created a place where people can just say what they believe. I I think it's
1: great. You know, I'm back on Twitter, but I, don't, I haven't used it because truth is so good. And truth gets put into Twitter. It gets put into everything. It's uh, it's just taken off, and people love it. And it's got real stuff, and it doesn't have the bots and the dots and all of the different things, the fake accounts as they call them, millions and millions of fake accounts. And we have a tremendous uh, following, and it's it's really been. It's an incredible, uh, incredible thing. Now, even truth, you know, they, although the Times did make a mistake uh, two weeks ago, they wrote a story about how powerful truth is. But they always like to say financial. It's, you know, we have financing out. The SEC goes after the people that want to do the financing. These poor people, they come in, they want to do financing. They end up under investigation because gonna, they could they could finance anything else in the world. No problem. They want to finance something that's with Trump and they end up under investigation. I said, lots of luck. But uh, I wouldn't mind if, I, if, if something ever happened, I'd keep it private. I have a lot of money and I'd keep it private. But I'm, we're really proud of truth. I think
0: truth is fantastic. In a moment of free speech need, it, it filled a void very bigly. It's really an incredible thing. Mr. President, I know how busy you are. I want to thank you so much for spending time with us, bringing us up to speed on all these important issues.
1: Well, congratulations. You are a professional. You really are. You're one of the true greats, and I think someday they'll appreciate it. I hope it's going to be soon, but at some point, they're going to appreciate it, John. You're a real a real pro.
0: Those are kind words, so I really appreciate them. Thank you so much for spending the time today. It was a great honor for us. Thank
1: you, John. I'll
0: speak to you again soon. All right, sir. Thank you. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after these messages. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title and your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time, go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity, in your home. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Well, we have the former president of the United States. Why not follow up with an even bigger guest, the former Speaker of the United States House. Newt Gingrich joins us. Mr. Speaker, what an honor to have you on the show today.
2: John, never, ever. Let President Trump hear you say.
0: (laughs) I was teasing him just just like he was teasing me.
2: Your career could have ended
0: just now. I, I was having some fun with him earlier. There's no doubt about it. Well, both of you guys have made such a huge impact and you've worked together so much, including over the last week in trying to get House Republicans together to come up with a set of rules and a set of approaches that will make the uh, Republican caucus so much more powerful in 2023. Tell us how you feel this shook out. I mean, we saw a lot of drama. We saw a lot of passion.
2: Well, I, I think overall it was actually good. Uh, I did not like some of the tactics that were being used. And I still think uh, you have a couple of people uh in, in uh, particular gets and bigs who are making money out of this, I think gets has raised a million dollars out of this fight in a way that's I think not very helpful to the Republican party, but I think overall uh first of all it's good and I think this was part of the shock compared to the Pelosi dictatorship uh, This kind of openness is really good uh and and if we can sustain it, I mean the challenge for Kevin McCarthy and the leadership is that trying to uh keep this open, you know, just just the management process. You know, when you run the the kind of program that that Mitch McConnell likes and that Nancy Pelosi likes, and it comes down to four leaders sitting in a room with their senior staff, and they make all the decisions and magically produce a 4,700-page bill, uh, that's pretty easy to do. But when you go out to all 435 members, and then you start getting the committees involved and the subcommittees, and you go through the actual process, that is exhausting. Uh, And I think that's part of what we're up against, is that uh, people are gonna now learn, this is what a real free country looks like. And I I was proud of it, you know, there's a chart that I think Forbes put out that showed open rules. And the two highest Congresses for open rules in modern times are the two where I was speaker. And what that means for our audience is in in an open rule, Anybody can offer any amendment which is germane to the topic on the floor in a modified open rule The rules committee has made in order two or three or four or as many amendments as they want But they have to have come through the rules committee and in a closed rule you can't offer anything uh, And so what happened was we were we, they degenerated towards closed rules because they're easier uh, and no I mean, committee chairmen hate this idea that they're going to go to the floor and every single member of the House is gonna have a chance to read their document and have a chance to pick it apart and have a chance to offer amendments. And so the pressures to, to go more and more and more closed, are very real. I think those changes are really a big deal and will make the House really much more responsive. I also think we have an opportunity, the, the commitment to a balanced budget in 10 years, which is by the way, three years longer than we took. Uh, we We said we would balance it in seven, We ended up actually balancing it in four. And I've already said to several of the key members, I'm very willing to work with them, show them how we did it. And I believe if they start with the uh, debt ceiling, but take a positive approach. We want to pass the debt ceiling. We want to pass the debt ceiling early so there's no threat to the financial market. And we're very willing to work directly with Biden to do that. And And if I were, my advice to Speaker McCarthy is the only person he negotiates with is Biden Uh, because McCarthy is the only constitutional officer in the legislative branch. It defines only one office, Speaker of the House. And so he ought to assemble the key team and say, we are prepared to sit down from day one and talk about the kind of reforms which would enable us to vote for the debt ceiling. And we hope that the Biden team will sit down with us in good faith and we ought to do it as early as possible and by the way, here are 10 or 15 or 20 reforms. Now, surely they can adopt some of them. And I think put all of the burden back on Biden. You know, these are the guys who spent the credit card for the last two years. They're like teenagers. They wanna come in and say, oh gosh, we didn't realize it would actually bill, bill sent after we charged everything. Uh, and, and they would like us to play Scrooge. And so our job is to pay off all of the debt and credit cards they've run up. And I think what well, we need to say is let's, let's be clear. We're willing to take steps to make sure that the debt ceiling works, but only if they are steps towards a balanced budget. And and I may shock you, John, but I helped found the military reform caucus in 1981. And I'm not sympathetic with people who think that the defense has to be off the table. We have a gigantic defense budget with a gigantic bureaucracy. It can be modernized and reformed. We can get better defense with greater agility, with faster technological change. Uh, I always tell people the, the Pentagon was built in 1943, so 26,000 people using manual typewriters and carbon paper could manage a global war. Now you you tell me, and I I don't have this number yet. I'm going to track it down. What is the difference in information flow between a manual typewriter, a carbon paper, and a filing cabinet, which is how they ran World War II, and and, and an iPhone, a laptop, and an iPad. It's it's gotta be at least, what, 1,000 to 1, 10,000 to 1? Okay, so how come you got 26,000 people sitting there? You know, I I, I literally tell people, and it it jars my friends in the defense system, uh, we ought to reduce the Pentagon to a triangle and turn the other two-thirds of the building into a museum. Uh, We would get better defense faster with less bureaucracy. Uh, We should then go through the whole system the same way, and I'll bet you that you could for a reformed Defense Department with modest reforms, could operate on 95% of the current budget, and an aggressively reformed Defense Department could operate on 80% of the current budget, and you'd get better technology, better equipment fielded, and a greater military capability.
0: So one of the things that the Democrats have done well since you left Congress is they've demagogued. They always seem to own the narrative, and Republicans are always on the defense. How does Speaker McCarthy change it? How does he have a narrative where he's owning his own narrative and he puts Joe Biden on the defense, or at least puts Joe Biden in a position of being an honest broker, not demagoguing on all the issues that often get in the way on a budget deal?
2: Look, you're a great communicator and a great student of the whole news business. I have a very simple principle, which I hope to get across to every House Republican. Legislative branches win strategic fights over three or four or five months they can never tactically fight the White House. White Houses can dominate any single week. So the trick is to build a, a box strategically so that their tactical fights are all within your box. So this is how we got Bill Clinton to decide he was for welfare reform. He was for the largest capital gains tax cut in history. Uh, he was for uh, Medicare reform. He was for balancing the budget for four straight years because we, we didn't, every time we tried to dance with him close, we got beat because you, you 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 know you just don't have the capacity in the legislative branch to fight a day-to-day tactical fight with a le- left-wing news media. For first of all, it's just easier to cover the White House. You got one you got one person. He's the center of everything, and so he can maneuver with great speed. You've got 435 House members and 100 senators. You've got to pick a fight that's big enough that it's worth three or four or five months. That's why I would start the argument about the debt ceiling right this minute so that four or five or six months from now we will have so thoroughly educated the country that whatever decision biden makes is within a framework we've defined and you can do that on 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 replacing on having a work requirement and be very popular you can do that on ensuring that parents know what's going on in their child's school and be very popular you can do that in defining uh, prosecutors who refuse to do their job and release criminals and make America more dangerous. I mean, there are serious issues, and as you know, John, because you were part of it, we created, uh, with Bernie Marcus's help, uh, the America's New Majority dot com, which people can go look at, but it's available to everybody in the country. And our number one goal is, based on Lincoln's government of the people, by the people, and for the people, you know, what do the American people want? And it turns out you can find a ton of issues where the American people are at seventy, eighty, ninety percent. So, you know, in the Reagan tradition, you pick a fight where you have a, where you have absolute dominance in public. You stick to the fight cheerfully. You smile constantly, uh, and you let the other guy has, has two decisions. He can side with you and stand in your shadow, or he can be with the ten or fifteen or twenty percent and and look terrible and be angry. Now, either way, you win.
0: Yeah, that is a strategy, and it's a strategy that really won in the 1990s. We got to that balanced budget because of the way you defined the debate with President Clinton, got the negotiations going early, and ultimately, right, came down to the sort of deal where we were actually giving money in a surplus. We actually had a surplus.
2: They actually thought, when I left office, we had a, we were set, headed towards our fourth consecutive balanced budget. Alan Greenspan, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, had a working group on how would you manage the, the, the monetary supply after 2009 when they projected that we would have paid off the national debt. there was a serious working group when I left. Uh, and and so I, I would say, first of all, yes, we can get to a balanced budget. Second, there are principles and practices of getting there. And, and I would never forget, that we stood on Reagan's shoulders. A great book by Tom Evans called The Education of Ronald Reagan about his years at General Electric. And that book, I'd worked with Reagan since 74, but when I read that book, I understood how strategically principled he was. And I would urge every House to read that book and every conservative activist to read that book and then realize there is a way to do this, there's a way to do this and win the 24 election uh, but it requires a disciplined, principled approach.
0: Yeah, that's the key. Not all, not all of the. Let it all hang out and have no strategy for it. The Reagan conservatism, for at least from a fiscal standpoint, rested on two concepts: it's cut taxes. President Trump achieved that with historic success in 2017, and we've seen the benefit from it. Tax revenues have grown, even though we've cut the tax rate because the economy grew. The second part of it is cutting government. That's something that Republicans have not succeeded at, really since the time that you left Congress. This seems to be the moment where shrinking government and shrinking spending is a distinct possibility. How important is it for Republicans to reclaim that mantle of fiscal sanity, fiscal conservatism?
2: I would start and just say, you know, why would you go out of your way to waste the, the taxpayers' money? I mean, when you learn that the $20 billion was stolen, from the California Unemployment Fund, why wouldn't you wanna clean that up? Now that it, it saves $20 billion, but it also reestablishes honesty. Uh, when you learn that um, only, I think 42% of New York City students were not in school on the average day, why are we paying for that? Uh, you just go down the list and say to yourself, we don't, we don't have a, you know, we have a big fat wasteful bureaucratic government with an extraordinary level of dishonesty and corruption. Uh, if if you do the job right, you're in fact going to end up with a balanced budget. As a consequence, I am for a leaner, more agile, more rapidly modernizing, and more effective federal government. And that easily gets you to a balanced budget.
0: Yeah, it really does. And it seems like there are more Republicans in this Congress at any time in the last 10 or 20 years really committed to holding the line and saying, enough's enough. We're going to actually shrink government. That's going to be a pretty remarkable achievement if they do it. Was it a good idea to have the IRS 87,000 agents as a first vote? Sure. I think symbolically it
2: was perfect. They're the party that wants to be in your pocket. We're the party that wants you to have your own money. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's a pretty reasonable way to think of it. Jim Rhodes, when he used to campaign for governor of Ohio, his standard to be on the podium take his wallet out slam it on the podium and say the other guy wants to take money out of your wallet i want to put money into it you decide which one you want
0: (laughs) pretty easy communication to understand that one there was extraordinary moment yesterday we learned that joe biden had a classified document problem after all the demagoguery on president trump how significant a moment is this in this debate and does it insulate president trump now going forward does it also put President Biden on the defense in a way that I don't think any of us could have imagined a month or two ago?
2: It's enormous, but it's enormous within a much larger story. I mean, what, what we're learning, and Elon Musk has been a big help on this, the simple fact is we do not have a conspiracy theory. We have a conspiracy fact. It is a fact that many of our biggest bureaucracies are totally corrupt. It is a fact that the FBI has methodically cheated in order to try to hurt Republicans and help Democrats. It is a fact that the rule of law has been replaced by the rule of politicians. And I did notice that the Attorney General has indicated he's assigned somebody to look into Biden. And they now have a real problem because if they set the precedent that what Trump did is indictable, unlike what Hillary did, which is excusable, then since what Biden did is exactly what they're attacking Trump for, how are they gonna avoid applying the same rule? I mean, even by their standard of blatant dishonesty, this one's pretty tough.
0: Yeah, it is. It's one of those many of those moments of hypocrisy and double standards are all flipping around. They're all boomeranging now at a moment where now Republicans have control of the investigative arm of Congress, certainly in the House. That's going to be a big difference that's been missing from the debate the last two years. Are you excited by the select committees, the select committee on COVID, the select committee on the weaponization of federal law enforcement, are those good ideas, and will they resonate with everyday Americans?
2: And frankly, the Select Committee on China.
0: Yes, absolutely.
2: I think six months from now, people who are worried about Speaker McCarthy and all that stuff, they're going to look. They're going to look back and they realize the gap between the Pelosi dictatorship and its protection of the left, and a open, dynamic, freewheeling Republican Congress that is getting at the truth and is working towards taking, balancing the federal budget and is beginning to methodically reform the systems that don't work, I think six months from now we'll be astonished at how different the world looks
0: yeah i think so i mean all that passion we saw really is a passion not for power within the internal structure of the republicans it was a passion to reclaim the levers of power that allow you to reshape this country keep it from where it's going some people i talked to said it probably was a lot more like what the founding fathers sounded like in the early days than anything that nancy pelosi ever allowed to go on in her own caucus a passion to change america and make it better and to take it off the course that it's been on that has been so harsh to everyday americans do you think, despite the media's coverage, that most Americans a few months from now will feel good about what happened during that week of, of passionate argument?
2: Well, I, I think so. I mean, you'd have a better sense than I do. But I think, for example, this, this Biden uh, problem of having secret documents in a private office, I think that's even penetrated the elite media. Uh, it has. So I think these things are working. And look, Chris and I stayed up and watched Kevin's acceptance speech.
0: Yeah, it was great.
2: I thought it was remarkable. And I thought particularly his references to Lincoln and Washington and the way he described it in a really emotional, personal way, which was not in the original text, by the way. He just ad-libbed it.
0: No kidding.
2: I didn't know that. I wrote his staff today, actually, and said, how come the version you sent out didn't include this? And I said, because we sent out the version that we thought he was going to give. And he just added. And, and you, if you get to see it, I said, everybody listening does, if you, if you see it on, on, on YouTube, Uh, or go to C-SPAN, the passion he had describing Abraham Lincoln, the depth of his commitment describing George Washington. My newsletter today is going to be about an American speaker, that he has the potential to be a much more profound unifier of 70 or 80 percent of the country than anybody would have guessed. And that's what really came through to me that night, that after, after 15 ballots in total exhaustion, that he was very comfortable being speaker, and he was very comfortable describing a better future on his own terms. And I I think uh, we're going to find out that uh, we may have been very fortunate in getting somebody who could truly be a national leader uh, in his own right.
0: Kevin McCarthy is such an interesting figure and a fellow that when you get to see him or you get to talk to him, because he shares a lot of the Reagan optimism about this country, but he's very pragmatic about what ails it and how you get to fixing it. And I think that combination we haven't seen in a while. That pragmatism that, hey, all right, we got to move the ball forward. We got to get these things done. We got to make deals. We got to put Biden in the box. That's the tactical part of him. But he also has this sort of optimistic vision that America's still got a great future ahead of it. He's the sort of guy I think is going to address climate change, which Republicans have shied from and and come up with a a market-based version that'll make the country a lot better. Do you think that most Americans will get an unfiltered view of him over time? The media can't just hijack the man's reputation.
2: The great power of television, as Trump proved in 2015 and 16, is in the end, the authenticity of the person comes through. And I think they're going to find out over the next couple of months that this is a genuine leader of the big heart who truly loves the whole country. And I think uh, he is probably going to attract a substantial number of Democrats. And you're going to see some things passing with Democratic votes in a way that will shock people and will be the very opposite of the um, way in which Pelosi ran the place.
0: Yeah, the contrasts are already evident just in the first few days. Next couple of weeks, what are the most important things for Republicans to accomplish? Obviously, reaching out to Biden, getting that debate on their terms and negotiating early, not letting it run the clock out with no strategy. I know that's real important. Anything else that you would encourage them to really have a laser-like focus on in these next few weeks?
2: Well, I, I mean, I think the the first focus has to be, uh, one, having each committee chair sort of explain to the media what their goals are going to be for their committee, uh, which gives you a lot of people, you know, able to talk on television and able to talk to reporters and, and you know, a, a lot of positive energy and positive ideas. I mean, they did develop a commitment to America with 150 positive pro- proposals. So they have a lot of stuff they can be rolling out that now matters. Uh, because now they're in charge. Second, I think day by day we're going to be shocked—I mean, literally shocked—by the stuff they learn. I look at—I look at Fauci, I look at the FBI, uh, I, I look at the uh, the whole way in which the uh, Justice Department has been politicized. Uh, I, I look at the total failure to really get at the, at the heart of the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden corruption. Uh, and, and then I think I think people will just be sort of startled by how many things we learn in the next few months. And, and, and again, I would come back and say, you, you get to a balanced budget with really big ideas, which are designed in a way that the American people really support them. You don't get to a balanced budget with green eye shades talking about numbers. And so that has to evolve over the next six or eight weeks. Uh, and that will be an enormous challenge for all of us.
0: Will it be important for Republicans to give Joe Biden some room to accept some of their ideas, not to have him so pinned down that he feels hunkered down all the time? You had a way of getting Bill Clinton to do that. You engaged Bill Clinton in ways that played to his natural tendencies, and it allowed him to be much more accommodating than I think other other people would have allowed. How important is that for Joe Biden? Or is it even possible with Joe Biden?
2: Well, I mean, as I said, what I would do is I would put together a negotiating team. Uh, on the uh, debt ceiling, I would put together 15, 20, 25 specific positive reforms that are good on their own right, each of which leads to a less expensive future government. <clears throat> and I would say, let's talk about this. Surely you can accept some of these and put the burden on Biden. I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be hostile. I would simply say, you know, when when I first got elected, I happened to have scheduled a speech for Heritage the Friday after the election. Um, And obviously there was a lot more attention paid than it would have been if we'd lost. uh, And so I went in and I said, uh, I am prepared to cooperate, but not to compromise. And the Washington Post went crazy and thought this was a horrible thing to say, but that should be be McCarthy's attitude. You know, we're gonna have 15 good ideas, 20 good ideas, 30 good ideas. You know, we hope your administration will go through our 150 commitments to America. Which ones will you commit now to signing? You got 150 ideas we've already put out there. Which ones are you willing to sign? And I would and I would always make it directly McCarthy to Biden.
0: Get the middlemen out of the way, right?
2: Don't worry about Schumer. Don't worry about Hakeem Jeffries. And just say, no, you're the president. These guys are on your team. It's your job to deliver them.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. That is a great piece of advice. Last question, we saw the president finally blink and go down to the border, albeit it was a contrived border visit. They sanitized the site. They didn't really go to the place where people are crossing. They didn't spend time with the real frontline agents. But the fact that he went, I think, suggests that he knows that with Republicans in charge that the narrative is going to be true. Well, how important is it? There were impeachment articles filed a little bit ago against Mayorkas. How important is it for Republicans to get a measurable change at the border?
2: Well, it's important for the country? I mean, I, I think Republicans should not, for the next two years, wor- worry about the word Republican. Well, you ought to ask, how important is it for the country? Uh, you know, Steve Moore and his unleashed prosperity today. Uh, last item has a picture of a street in El Paso on Wednesday and the same street on Thursday. And it's like a Potemkin village. I mean, on Wednesday, uh, you, it is filled with homeless people. It's filled with clothing. On Thursday is totally empty. And that was so that Joe Biden wouldn't be shocked by actually seeing the real border. just need to understand that. I assumed that he was going to the border because he is going to run for re-election and, and that the whole thing is a re-election stunt. Um, I, I, these people have no interest and no understanding and trying to control the border. It's just astonishing.
0: Yeah, it is astonishing, and the American people are fed up with it. Mr. Speaker, it is an extraordinary honor to have you on to such important advice at a very incredible moment in our country's history. We're going to be sure to get you back on soon, but really important discussion today.
2: Well, it's always great to be with you, and I have to say, it's kind of amazing you hear both Trump and me the
0: same day. I'm amazed by it. Thank you so much for your time today. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be back to wrap things up in just a few seconds. Delve into the shadows of the mind
2: with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award
0: winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Report. So glad you can join us today. A big thank you to two very busy men who took time to Share news and break news with us today, former President Donald Trump, great interview from Mar-a-Lago, and former House Speaker Newt Gingrich, back-to-back, in an extraordinary day of interviews, so humbled and grateful to have Such two big newsmakers here in the House on a very newsy week with the start of a new Congress, the extraordinary disclosure of Joe Biden having classified documents in a private office. Yes, the whole issue of classified documents have now boomeranged around on Democrats and Joe Biden. Well, we'll have more of this tomorrow, including the fallout from these interviews and so much more. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, God bless you and God bless this extraordinary country of the United States. As he always has, you've been listening to...